With our sixth episode, we are in the middle point through the Australian holy moly. Whoa, oh, halfway there with the podcast. Mini golf junkies, holy moly contestants, podcast listeners, and now podcast creators. That's us. I'm Tom, and I go by the name Mr. T, and I'm one half of a couple of putts. Along with the pink putter, we build, design, and consult on mini golf projects across the world. We document our work and play at a couple of putts.com and on social media at couple putts. P.S. I've personally started dipping my toes in the competitive side of things as well, but I'm very much a novice compared to my co host. And I'm Pat, and in mini golf circles, I'm known as the Putting Penguin. I run the mini golf course review website and social media conglomerate, the Putting Penguin. I'm also a competitive mini golfer, as Tom pointed out, having played in over 60 tournaments. This year, we took our talents to a podcast after spending 2020 live streaming We're Gonna Need a Bigger Windmill, our Facebook show that covered the U.S. Season 2 of Holy Moly, along with other mini golf topics. You can find that show in the archives of our respective websites. Due to the wonders of technology, we've started our run of this podcast recapping the Australian Holy Moly Season 1, as well as the entire realm of Minicroft across the world. I know what it's like to plunge into the water on the other side of midnight in suboptimal temps. We both know the excitement and nervousness that comes with high-stakes putting for pride and prizes. We know the rush of adrenaline that comes from having success on the one-of-a-kind putting structures that only a handful of competitors and production staff have ever played. On the show, we'll be spoiling winners and referencing the U.S. season. So if that isn't your cup of tea, turn off now. Also, if you want to see some visuals for the show after listening to the episode, check out Podcast Mini on all the socials. Thanks for coming along with us, and we appreciate your grace as we dial in our audio. We're still behind on the pace of episodes that are coming out in Australia. Right now, as we're recording this, the finale's already aired, so it's well past where we're at with our recaps, but we're not worried about it. We want to focus on all of the players who've spent months, weeks, years prepping to play on this unique course. We hope that you enjoy the ride. And oh yeah, thanks to Robert Frost for helping out with the audio. I'm a novice at editing, but it really helps to have somebody who's cleaning up our recordings. So this time around, before we jump into Holy Moly, we wanted to share a little news from the world of mini golf. So I'm going to start off, and on a previous episode, Tom mentioned that Putt Shack was coming to the United States, which I've once called Top Golf Meets Mini Golf. Well, it seems now there will be some competition in this space as Drive Shack, which is a Top Golf light company, is paired with Roy McElroy to plan out Puttery, which is planned to open up around Dallas first in 2021 and then expand throughout 2022. Puttery is going to be in concept similar to Putt Shack. So there looks to be some money behind this, and it'll be interesting to see how they compete in this market. Either way, I know I'm personally looking forward to playing all of these types of courses, and I'm sure my co-host Tom is too. Indeed. Looking forward to playing any of the new courses that are opening up, but especially ones that are putting an interesting spin on mini golf. Speaking of interesting spins on mini golf, somehow when I was looking for news for this episode, I ended up in the New York Times with a piece by Roxane Gay, who if you're not familiar with her, she's an incredible American writer, professor, editor, and social commentator. 
She did a piece talking about the Oculus 2, the VR headset, and talked about the game Walk Around Mini Golf that my co-host Pat has had the fortunate chance to play already. After reading her review and hearing from a couple other people about how this plays, this seems like another really fantastic putt-at-home option. I'd encourage people that are looking for something to beat the cabin fever if you're in a cold temperature like us, or if you're just looking for another cool video game option to check out the Walk Around Mini Golf on the Oculus. Shout out to my buddy Matt Sachak, who introduced me to Walk Around Mini Golf, and I will say I was pleasantly surprised by how realistic the mechanics were in putting in that game. So looking forward to hopefully picking it up myself sometime. Now we're on to Holy Moly. Got some general notes on the Aussie version of the show before we dive into the recap. First of all, there's eight competitors who go head-to-head in a bracket one-hole tournament with each match held on a different hole. The distractor will serve as a redemption hole, which makes three players in the final. The winner will take home a gold putter, the green plaid jacket, and a chance at the super final for $100,000 Australian, which is about $75,000 or $76,000 US. Since you're listening, don't forget to subscribe and give us a hole-in-one rating. And with that, let's head to the holy moly scramble time and our recap of the matchups. And we're going to kick off this episode with one of our favorites, Slip and Putt, a hole that Pat and I are very familiar with. And we have a matchup with Carolyn, a mother of two, that is a performer that works for an organization in Australia that sort of looks like the medieval times of Australia. They do rodeo and four-wheel drive ATVs and... It's just an Aussie-style dinner theater show. She's going up against Kirsty, who's 24, a marketer, and after 72 holes into a mini-golf tournament with a 14-stroke lead, she choked. That sounds brutal, and it sets up a match that could be another opportunity for her to choke. It's a horrible intro for her because what ended up happening was both Carolyn and Kirsty spent a lot of time trying to get up slip and putt. Kirsty took some really bad falls. And as usual, and I've mentioned in previous episodes, you see that rope start to slowly come down. And eventually Carolyn, who's very familiar with the ropes from her rodeo show that she's part of, got up first. Kirsty, after a few more falls, got some help from Carolyn. They gave a big hug at the top and were really supportive of each other. I talk about this regularly, but I really love seeing competitors that are helping each other out. I feel like reality TV needs more of these moments of people just playing and being nice to each other. And it's a big reason why I love this show. At the top with Kirsty in the B position for getting up second, she actually gets it down on the first putt, but gets kind of a bad bounce off into the corner. She's about eight feet out. Carolyn hits it right down and is sitting about two feet out. Kirsty, unfortunately, chokes again, has a really nice run at the cup. Falls a little short. Carolyn nails it in two, and Carolyn moves on to the next round. I loved that the two of them slid down on slip and putt together toboggan style. It seemed like they were having a ton of fun, and they got a standing ovation from the hosts. Again, this seems like the perfect and idyllic version of what I like to see out of competitors on Holy Moly. Two people having fun, helping each other out and celebrating each other in wins and losses. I think slip and putt is probably the best hole for that out of all of them. I mean, I saw even when I played, helping Mm -hmm. my competitor up after I got up. So as Tom said, really cool to see. Um, 
Christy also had me really confused because I want to know how long that mini golf tournament was because 72 <laughs> holes is four rounds and a 14 stroke lead. Did she blew it in the fifth round and the sixth round? Was it eight rounds? Um, we may never know, I guess. So you're the tournament player. You're doing the math better than I did on that. I was just like 14 stroke lead. That just that in itself seems wild. But if you break it up over three rounds, I guess it doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, I mean, you can, if, if it was an eight round tournament, I mean, you can give back three strokes around pretty easily. So maybe I'll do some, some deep dive later on. Anyway, we are on to the second hole of the episode, which is Uranus. And up around the rings of Uranus you go, followed by a planet hopping experience. Can you stay dry while tackling Uranus? Well, as Rob Riggle said, it's a big hole and I love it. This episode, we saw Aki, a 33-year-old office administrator who has a deep love of Serena Williams, so much so that he was wearing a tutu in honor of her doing the same in a tournament. Let me tell you, that man owns it the whole time. He's up against Sasha, who's a 58-year-old retired gentleman with a 12 handicap. Not too bad for a golfer. They get started. Sasha's up first. He gets the channel that has a ton of pace coming out of it, so blows past the hole, and luckily stays just out of the sand. Unfortunately, he makes it no further than Earth before sliding into the water. Aki also gets the channel, but with better pace, so he's a little bit closer to the cup, Earth also does him after a very overly enthusiastic jump onto the planet. With them both sitting even on the other side of the green, Sasha hits his second just to the left, leaving a tap in, but our man Aki powers it right into the hole, and moves on to the next round. So the third hole we see this episode is actually called hole number two. In my mind, it's the simplest of the holy moly holes. Hit the ball past the port lose and then get yourself past if you can. This time around, we saw Mackenzie, who was a 21-year-old arcade worker, up against Bella, who was a 29-year-old cheerleader. And not the first we've seen on holy moly, as we interviewed one last season on our live show from the U.S., Mackenzie was up first and gives the port just a little tap with the ball on the way by, and it ends up settling off to the left of the cup. This time around, the chicken, who you might remember from such holes as foul play, knocks her into the water as the second-to-last port which tends to be the one that gets everybody this season. Bella rolls her a little slow and ends up the first competitor, I think, this season who was tucked behind the dunny sign, and unfortunately, she ends up also getting blasted by the chicken into the water. After that, Bella has a lot going on with her putts. She hits her second too hard, ends up in the water. Her third is out of the drop zone and ends up managing to go behind the backboard from the ace shot, but actually gives herself a clear shot to try to finish it off. But ultimately, it's all for naught as Mackenzie just rolls her second putt in to win the hole and move on to the second round. Yeah. I think there's more to come on the uh, shots getting into the drop zone, but we'll get to that in future episodes. For right now, we're going to go to our fourth hole of the night. And again, another one of our favorites, Dutch Courage. The big windmill blades that are spinning and spinning. And this time the hole was set up by poor Lady Gofina running into the, skipping into the blades, not just running, skipping into the blades and just getting knocked out. I don't know if it was funny or sad. It's funny to have just that thinking about it. <laughs> It's 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 like one of those things where you you're watching the episode. It's like, am I doing drugs? Like, did somebody slip something to me? I'm watching a costumed character run into like a twenty foot tall 
windmill and just get blasted. We actually have a pretty great set of competitors up. We have Justin, who is a plumber, a singer, and has been a mascot. He has a ton of energy and he's a big golf fan as well. Another cool thing that I've seen connected with a bunch of the competitors from the Australian season on social media and Justin's putting up daily poetry, which I think is super cool. People have all of these different dynamics that you don't get to see on the show. I think he's the first one that's a poet that I'm aware of. So very cool. Jesse, who's a beer man, has a striking resemblance to young Boski, who made it to the finals of an episode in season two of the United States. Holy moly. I think I saw a couple people on social media from last season commenting on it. He sells beer. He has a choose golf hat, which if you're familiar with the Wham! video, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, they have the Choose Life shirts that are very infamous and very 80s. On top of that, Jesse's also a surfer and wants to get married in the green plaid jacket. Can't hack him for that. Jesse two putts to the checker green near the cup, and Justin three putts, but gets to the second blade. Jesse was not as lucky like almost all the other competitors, got hit by both of the blades. Jesse misses for five. Justin makes it in. They share a really nice hug. And then there's just a really other nice ending where you see this interview with Justin with one of our co-hosts, Sonia. And he just has this great attitude about competing and having fun. And again, follows in the trend of all of the competitors in this episode, having like a really good attitude and just coming out and having a lot of fun. And it's why this episode is one that I've really enjoyed. And we're on to the first of our two semifinal holes, which is Dragon's Breath. Once again, simple concept. Through the drawbridge you go, but not before being set on fire by dragons. Today's matchup, we saw Carolyn, who won Slip and Putt, versus Mackenzie, who won on hole number two. Uh, this time around, both of our competitors had problems getting it through the little inserts of the drawbridge on their first shot. Mackenzie was a little short on her first shot and didn't get up the ramp, but then gets through on her second right through the middle and just clips the cup. She'll ultimately end up tapping for three. Carolyn was also short, but off to the left. I thought she was going to continue straight through the left, but actually angled her second shot up the ramp and through the center hole. But unfortunately, that put her behind a ridge. Her third shot, the line was actually really good, but had a little bit too much power and kicked off, which left Mackenzie after a tap in off to the final hole. And that brings us to the other semifinal on Putt the Plank, which I'll be covering later in Design Time with Mr. T. We have Aki versus Justin. And Dicko gives a really great compliment to Aki right away and has some really great banter with both he and Justin. The chip's over. Justin's chip is right in the sand. Really, really bad luck. Aki, on the other hand, Dicko gives him the best chip of the season over the water and about two inches from the cup. It's an unbelievable chip and unbelievably bad luck for Justin, unfortunately. Both of them make an attempt at the shark, Greg the shark, that's circling around the water. Both of them hit it pretty hard. Aki hits sort of the tail. Justin hits right in the middle with his ribs, which will come up a little bit later, of course. Aki taps in. Justin was deep, deep, deep in that sand trap. And with his one putt, he didn't get out. Completely understandable and a really tough position to be in. Aki moves on to the final hole. 
And now it's time for dissecting the distractor with the putting penguin. So this time around, we have Carolyn, who just lost on Dragon's Breath, versus Justin. But wait, it's not him, as Tom alluded to. Fortunately, Justin got injured on Putt the Plank, which was shades of the competitor Garrett in season two of the U.S. run, if you remember that, if you happen to also watch that. And so we go all the way back to his first round matchup and we bring back Jesse the beer salesman. And Jesse brought the right amount of energy for tonight's distraction, which is the Maori Haka dance. If you don't recognize it by the name, which you probably should, you will recognize it on the screen. And I'll talk a little bit about it later on. But as it, the whole distraction is going on, we have Carolyn who goes up first. She pulls her putt just left under one of the dancers. Meanwhile, Jesse nails his, making an amazingly huge redemption to get himself to the final hole. But really, what we need to talk about is the distraction itself, the haka. So if you're unfamiliar with it, here's one description from NewZealand.com. The haka is a type of ceremonial Maori dance or challenge. Haka are usually performed in a group and typically represent a display of the tribe's pride, strength, and unity. The actions include foot stamping, tongue protrusions, and rhythmic body slapping to accompany a loud chant. The words of a haka often poetically describe ancestors and events in the tribe's history. It's probably most familiar to sporting enthusiasts because the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, do it before competitions. And so you've probably seen that before and you can understand how that might really be distracting given that description. Overall, I gave it four out of five fish. I think it would be slightly more distracting if it was your actual opponent who was doing the haka dance while you were trying to putt. But otherwise, it's really high energy. You can't help but watch the guys. It is a little bit of an intimidating as you're standing up there to putt. And one thing I liked about it was that it brought some of the, the local Australian New Zealand color to the distraction, which has been generally an overall theme to the distractor, the distractor this year, which is something that's really nice and kind of separates it a little bit from the U.S. version. So I definitely suggest you either check out a clip of it or, you know, follow us on social media and we'll, we'll post some pictures because it was a really good one for this episode. Okay, so we have our beer man searching for redemption, Aki, who looks amazing in a tutu, and Mackenzie, who's living the dream, working in an arcade, in the finale, playing foul play. This one has been in the finals of a lot of episodes, and in doing a count for this season, it and Putter Ducky are the two holes that are most prominently the final hole of each episode. So we start off with Aki first, hits it in the right channel, and then falls off the spinning log into the feathers. Same thing happens to Mackenzie that went third. Jesse, who's coming back from redemption, who had lost on Dutch Courage, makes it through the middle channel and is then our first player to run across the spinning log and make it. He flew across that log and just dove onto the turf. He was wearing shorts, so I kind of was a little... Worried about him getting some turf burns on his knees, but it didn't really matter. He had a tap in to win it, and his fiance came on to the hole after he won it when he got the golden putter and the plaid jacket. And Jesse, our winner, I guess he's going to get married in that plaid jacket. It was a quick finish to the episode, and our second episode in a row where we have someone who had lost in the second round, and in this case, actually, first round, and came back and won the whole episode in redemption. All right, Tom. So now, what did I miss on this episode? 
I don't know if you missed anything, but I think overall, this is a really great outfit episode. One of the things that I'm keen to notice are socks. I love fun socks. And I noticed Mackenzie, in addition to her cool gaming console shirt, had some really sharp looking socks. And across the board, everybody had a good look. I mean, I mentioned Jesse's uh, hat. That was a reference to a Wham song. So that's, that's the biggest thing that I noticed. And I'll ask you, Pat, what did I miss? Well, you got the Lady Gofina part in there, which I thought was really amusing. But uh, the one thing that we didn't talk about, I love me a good Field of Dreams reference. And this show started off with a little, <laughs> if you build it, they will come reference by Mr. Riggle. And I think it just sets the tone that their opening of the episodes so far this season, I've really enjoyed. Um, they flowed very well and like the production value on them. And they seem to really be hitting their spot with those. Now it's time for Design Time with Mr. T. And that's me. I'm Mr. T. We've been looking at all the holes throughout the episodes and talking about them visually. And much like one of our previous episodes, I'm going to combine holes because if you look really close during the episodes, you'll notice that many of these holes share the same physical structures on set. And in the case of Put the Plank and hole number two, the biggest thing that they share is a body of water. The first of the two holes that I really want to talk about, though, is Put the Plank. But the plank is something that I imagined even when we were thinking about going on to season one of Holy Moly. They told us it was going to be the wildest mini golf course we had ever seen. And assuming that, it was just like, well, it's a major network show. They might have a really good budget. It'd be super cool if that a pirate themed hole and maybe like as people lose, they have to walk the plank and jump in the water. We got to set and actually saw everything. It was like, holy crap. Like this is the this is actually like not that far off from my imagination of the type of holes that would do that, but there was no pirate-themed hole. Fast forward to season two, where I was out as an audience member and watching on set, and the thrill that I had when I saw Put the Plank for the first time was so big. You can look closely and you'll see that the big flag banner on the ship has the gopher in sort of a eye patch and pirate garb. You have all of the different accoutrements that you would want on a pirate ship that's sort of half sunken in and playable. And then on top of it, you have this plank where you're running and jumping off of it and trying to ride a shark to get to the other side on a faux wooden little raft. Now, when you get to the other side, there's two sand traps. There's a backstop for when Dicko puts the ball over and then there's a couple of skeletons in the sand. So there's not a lot to look at as far as the design goes on the putting side of things. But you will notice that there's two ridges of turf over there. And if you look closely at the little strip of turf down the side of the hole, it looks very familiar because it's for hole number two. So I'll get to that in a second. Going back to the ship, I do really like also that there's like a parrot there as well as a little bell. The thing that really didn't strike home to me until last episode is that both John Lovitz in season two in the US and Dicko in the Australian episodes kind of serve as a great set piece themselves. They're both sort of surly, washed up characters on a pirate ship, which is perfectly in character and fits great in that environment. I didn't even really think about it. I just thought like, boy, they're either playing a role of someone being kind of at the end of their career and washed up, which I don't know about Dicko, but Lovitz is sort of on the other side of having a career and just kind of annoyed and playing into the role and leaning into it. But it fits perfectly for a pirate ship. So yeah, put the plank, 
it's a dream come true to see it. And I love how that shark transports people across that body of water. I also really like how they repurposed the body of water to be a space that you could get hit into if you get knocked in by the portaloos, dunnies, or portajohns, whatever you want to call them, on hole number two. And really all you're doing on hole number two is you're hitting the ball along a very thin ridge, probably a couple feet wide, towards the cup that's straight in front of you, but there's like a carefully placed bathroom sign on both season two of Holy Moly in the United States and in Australia that that's just enough there that if you get stuck behind it or if you hit it, it makes a huge difference in how you play. Cup placements on this hole varied very differently between the United States and the Australian version. The United States version was way more difficult. They have the two ridges, if you were hitting out of the drop zone, you would have to go over both to get the ball to the cup and it was sitting like right near the edge of the water. Our buddy Aaron Kaminsky from O Street hit the ball in the water, and so did many others out of the drop zone in attempts to really make up for the ground that it takes to get to the cup if you don't really hit it straight and get it over that ridge. The Australian Holy Moly, it's a straight shot. There's walls kind of behind the cup that allow you to even potentially bounce back in or take the ridge and bounce back in, which makes for a better playing hole in my mind, the drop zone's also a little bit more favorable in the Australian episode. Although a couple episodes down the road, someone really like botches that shot. So it's not impossible to screw it up, but it's a little bit easier to play for the putters than the US version. As far as the Portageons go for design, there's not a lot to it. But the one thing that I really noticed that it has sort of like a atomic age, mid-century modern vibe to it with the contrasting yellowish orange and blue Porta Johns and some cool little design graphic pieces to go with it that really tie it together really nicely. I included both of these holes together that I think they're, the putting over on Putt the Plank is sort of imperfect. The first part of it, you don't even really see where they set up who has Dicko chipped the ball over with either one eye patch or two eye patches. I think on hole number two, they sort of sell short the obstacles you know, in lieu of having the spectacle of these costume characters swinging open the bathroom doors and knocking characters in, in both season two and the Australian season, pretty much everybody ends up in the water on hole number two and gets hit by those doors. It's sort of unpredictable and nearly impossible to get past them in the two, two and a half seconds that you're given. So those are those two holes. And that's been Design Time with Mr. T. Now we have our segment that we like to call Wriggle Roasts and Best Bits. So my couple for this episode, I really just appreciated the chicken shot where he was on his cell phone and Wriggle made a joke about the chicken being on tender and it just made me laugh way harder than that joke should have as it landed. I also really enjoyed Wriggle's arcade references of Galaga and uh, Defender, as well as Mortal Kombat, although I think he incorrectly lumped Mortal Kombat in as an 80s arcade game. Pretty sure it was a 90s, but as a child of the 80s, man, I played a ton of Defender, so I was on board for that one. I can confirm that Mortal Kombat came out in 92, and I was almost convinced that Defender may have come out in the 70s, but it was 1981, so... Riggle was not, Riggle was trying to show up the kids on their, uh, on their knowledge of video games and he was off. Mortal Kombat is definitely a 90s game. Yeah, it's Sega Genesis all the way, man. And for those of you that are looking uh, for a mini golf and Mortal Kombat connection, you should check out O Street's Contender series. 
they borrow a little bit from the visuals and figured that'd be a nice little connection to bring in. So that was a, that was a good distraction. Um, <laughs> for those of you that couldn't hear what was going on on my end, there was a distraction where somehow I hit play on my computer and random music that I couldn't find was playing. Now that I've gotten that resolved, my favorite wriggle roast or bit for this episode was when they talked about Mufti Day. And it's something that his co-host Shervo had referenced. And he's like, what's that? He's like, well, it's, you know, a day where you just kind of dress in normal clothes. He's like casual Fridays. And they go back and forth and Riggle's just like, why do you have to make it so hard? It's just casual Friday. Why call them Mufti? What's the story behind Mufti? And he just kind of plays up the dumb American that's like, it's casual Friday everywhere. And it's like, no, everybody has their own traditions. And I'm sure it plays over well in Australia to kind of like poke fun at like the sort of arrogant American stereotype that Riggle's pretty good at playing. So the other was earlier in the episode where I mentioned Lady Gofino running into Dutch Courage. He said, there's no skipping on Dutch Courage. And I don't know why, but I thought that was pretty funny too. All right. We're to our segment of Would You Rather. In this episode, I get to ask the question of Tom. So we're sticking in the holy moly world this time around. And since our costume chicken was actually featured on two holes this episode, I've got a question for you. Would you rather be dressed as the chicken and be in the portaloo or be the chicken on foul play? That's a good question, but I think that one's pretty easy for me. I think sitting in the environment of those portaloos would get a little old and it's not as like interactive as in, and fun. Versus in foul play where you get people to boo you, you get to be interactive, you get to put people's ball in the drop zone. I'm going to vote for foul play. And for some reason, I worked in an artist designed haunted house years ago. And I feel like sitting in a small and enclosed dark space for long periods of time might be a little triggering of those memories of spending hours on end in the pitch dark in a former soap factory. I, I could see the PTSD <laughs> that would come out of that. I, I'm still undecided on this particular one because especially where they put the chicken it being that second to last port there just has to be something immensely satisfying about knocking somebody into the water as they're going full charge down there. So I, I'm, I'm a toss up. I don't got an answer to my own question this week. Fair enough. We're going to move to our last section. Big thoughts. Mini golf. The game of mini golf has nearly an infinite amount of space for creativity. Bad weather, lockdown, low on dough. I'm certain you can find some objects around your house that will make for a fun putting adventure. Don't have a club or a golf ball? Why not make your own out of tape, rubber bands, toilet paper rolls, and other common objects? There's no rules in putting at home, just have fun. Speaking of fun, for a bit of fun, instead of playing by the traditional mini golf rules of closest to the hole, going first after your tee off, play the rules of the super finals of the World Crazy Golf Championships. That's where you have the player furthest from the hole go first. It adds a bit of blocking strategy and tee shots and you'll get to see who your real friends are. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. Until next time, putt one ready. <laughs>